Good morning. Good morning. And uh, I know you've been already welcomed here this morning, but if you're a visitor... If you're a visitor, that's the only stunt I'm going to do this morning. If you're a visitor, you're very welcome here. Um, my name's Neville, and I'm one of the leaders here of the church. Um, so that's, that's that part over. And uh, I know David has prayed for Neil as, as uh, he's off speaking in table this morning. And it's great that he gets the opportunity to do that. It's great that he gets to express what he shared with us a couple of weeks ago, how he's passionate about the church, how he's going to give his life, the rest of his life, to see the church uh, being edified and built up. And, uh, and so we just don't want that to happen here, but he is a gift that we believe that is going to be used locally uh, and throughout our county and throughout Northern Ireland and throughout Ireland as a whole. And, uh, and so we want to release him to do that. So are you glad you're here this morning? Thank you to um, Paul and for inviting um, um, our visitors here with us to, to play this morning. And uh, I just want to echo those moments there where we were um, just had, had something musical going on. There wasn't even been words been sang. And I really felt there was something of the presence of God ministering uh, deep into people's hearts. I do think, I will uh, add to what David has said, and it's Paul, isn't it? Paul, just there's something on uh, when you play that saxophone and and, uh, and passionately play it uh, for the Lord. And uh, there's just a, a, like a ministry that, that I sensed was really happening uh, deep down inside. I'll just start the timer now. Great. This morning I want us to, uh, to look at a story in the Old Testament that kind of embodies uh, a lot of what we believe here at uh, GCC. It's a story of how God often takes the most unlikely, the most or sometimes the unqualified and the least able and uses them to do great things. It's yet again one of those stories in the Old Testament that shows what Neil was sharing with us last week is that God has no bias towards gender. David and myself have really felt that here especially, um, and, and maybe in this time there is something special that God wants to in some way empower ladies. Um, and, uh, and so this story in a sense does that also. It's a story that I have docked myself in for the last two months, going backwards and forwards to. And every time I've read the story, I seem to, to see something new or something that I've never seen before and, uh, and learn something new in it. And if I was to share everything that God was showing me in this story, I think we'd be here for a long, long time. It's, a, it's 10 chapters long. It's found in the book of Esther. It's 10 chapters long. Sometimes it's not easy reading in this story. And uh, as I've said, I've read it over and over and over several times over the last couple of months. feel really drawn to it for my own life. And that's what I'm going to share from today and next week, by the way. Um, 
book of Esther, if you've known it or read it, is found in the Old Testament. And it's, the one, it's one of two books in the whole Bible that God isn't mentioned in. And, they, and first of all, when I read it over, I thought that was kind of strange. But every time I read it over and over again, I find it more strange that God wasn't mentioned in this book. And so I did a wee bit of research and a wee bit of reading on it. And scholars believe that the purpose in that is that the reader will see this, that God is always working in the background. And maybe that's a start-off point for you today and something that you need to hear today, that God is always working in the background of our lives. We might not hear him and we might not see him, but let me tell you, this story tells us that he's always in the background. You know, there's been times in my life, and I'm sure there's been times in your life, you've said these words or asked these questions. Does God really care? Does God really love me? Does he have a plan for my life? Anybody here ever asked those questions? Anybody here ever had those moments in their life? Well, I'm not afraid to confess There's been moments I have felt like that. My prayer is that as we look at this story in the context of going deeper in him, that we will see that he is always working in the background. Isn't that comforting to know that he is always working in the background? The book of Esther is a brilliant story of a young, insignificant orphan girl from a suppressed, unprivileged race of people who beats the odds. We all love stories of the underdog, don't we? Who beats the odds, becomes queen, and becomes queen to an extremely powerful king. The story goes on, but we're not going to look at this today, to show how she saves that king's life and goes on to lay down and risk her own life to rescue a whole generation, a nation of people. Isn't that a powerful story? It's not a fairy tale. This is not a fairy tale. This is a true story that happened. It's one of those stories that when God favors a person, when God privileges or promotes or elevates a person, he has a plan in mind. He has a people or a generation, or a person who needs rescuing. It's, and that's the narrative of the whole Bible, that God is redeeming a people for himself. He's rescuing a people for himself because he has a purpose in mind. And the purpose in mind is this, that he is preparing a body for his son. He's preparing a people that one day will meet his son. Things that that I found out about Esther in this story. She came from a family or tribe that that was looked down upon in her day. From a land that had been captured by the Babylonians. And these were a people who hated God. She lived under a suppressed culture 
for she was not allowed to freely express her faith or the faith of her family. Her mom and dad had died and she was an orphan. And she was adopted by her cousin, her older cousin, Mordecai, who seems to be a God-fearing man. And she lives in a foreign land, as I said, that's owned by an extremely, that has been conquered and now is owned by an extremely wealthy king. She doesn't have much going for her, does she? She doesn't really have a privileged background in any sense, does she? Or what seems from the outside. Let me tell you about this king, this great, this extremely wealthy king who rules all these provinces. And one of the provinces is, is the place where Esther is. His name is King Xerxes. And we break into the story in chapter one of Esther where he's in his third year of his reign. Now I want you to see similarities in this story between this king and our king. He owns a massive kingdom. kingdom. It's probably the largest in his day. The details of it there is in Esther in, in chapter one. But his kingdom is so vast, it takes six months to show off its glory, its majesty, and its wealth. A whole six months it takes to display this. It's a massive, massive kingdom. It's a massive wealth that this man has inherited. He's a powerful dude. That's what I've wrote down here. He is a powerful dude. And we have a king, haven't we? Who owns a massive kingdom. And the similarity I see in this story is that our king wants to display his glory and his majesty and his wealth here on earth. At the end of the six months of this displaying of all of his kingdom, he decides to have a feast. And the feast is seven days long. Seven days long. And uh, and the beautiful thing about this banquet that this king has, he goes out to the surrounding area and he welcomes all in. The important and the unimportant. Aren't we glad that we are welcomed in? Us of us that are unimportant or the important to the great banquet of the king. And the people would eat and drink all day long at this banquet. But on the seventh day, the final day of this banquet, the queen, she also had a party for the ladies. In those days, men and women were separated. I suppose the men in those days couldn't tolerate the shopping and talking about shopping and things that you do with children and all those things. We've become more tolerant men, haven't we? On the, se- on the seventh day, the king, wants to, the king wants to display, on the seventh day, after six months of displaying all is well, and six days of banqueting, on the seventh day, this king wants to display all 
the pinnacle of his treasure, the pinnacle what it's all for and what it's all worth. He wants to display it on the seventh day and he wants to display it through one person, his bride. And so it's the same with our king. Our king wants to display all of his glory, all of his wealth, all of his majesty through a people called his bride, the church. And so king, the king asks the queen to come forward and stand before the people so he can display her off. A strange thing happens in this story. The queen refuses to go. She says, no, I am not going to display your glory. And the king is so disappointed and he's so cross. Do you know that we are the pinnacle of God's creation? On the sixth day, he made his final thing that he engraved his own image into. Man and woman. Do you know that Christ is the king of our kingdom that we are called to? And do you know that we are called to be the bride of Christ? And God is looking for a people who will stand before him to display his glory through throughout the kingdom. Not alone stand before him, but will come and stand before him. And I think that's crucial. There is a change needs to happen sometimes in our position to do that. You know, for those who refuse to come, like Queen Vashti, there are consequences. This queen is stripped of her titles, of all of her privileges, of all of her power, and banished to a foreign land. And if you read the story close enough, you'll see that the king is cross, but he's more heartbroken. He's heartbroken. And so because he's heartbroken, why is he heartbroken? He's heartbroken because he wanted someone to share this responsibility with. You know, in Genesis 1, Neil alluded to it last week. We were called to go and rule and reign over the earth in a partnership with God. Did you know that? We are called to go and rule over it. Because this king is so heartbroken. He's so heartbroken. I'll not move just yet. And what we see right at the start of this story, or what I have seen right at the start of this story, is that if you want to share in the responsibility of the kingdom, if you want to display its glory and, and, and all of that, then obedience to the king is foremost. And I have asked myself the question as I have read over this story and the first part of this story, how obedient am I to the king? Or do I take this posture? I want the king to be obedient to me. Because it, it will determine how we pray. It will determine how we come to prayer. 
after a period of time. And so obedience is the first key that we see in this story. We read after a period of time, a call goes out. Letters goes out across this vast nation. The king who has everything seems to be incomplete until he finds someone to share it with. And uh, the letters go to the furthest parts of the kingdom. We have a saying here in Ireland, to the way back and beyond or something like that. The back and beyond. Way in the back of beyond, some letters arrive. And uh, there's a small remnant of people. They're despised people. They come, they have come, they're descendants of the tribe of Israel. They've been captured generations before this land that they have lived in has been captured by by the queen's or the king's um, um, forefathers. And they've lived in this land suppressed. And, um, and one of these letters reaches this land that the king is looking for a queen. And in that land, there is a man called Mordecai. And uh, from what we read on in the story, Mordecai is a God-fearing man. He's a man who can be trusted. He's a man who underst- seems to understand the heart of God. Now, it doesn't tell us whether Mordecai had children of his own. But this man has in his house, he has a girl who he has adopted. She has become an orphan somewhere along her journey. And in those days, orphans weren't thought much of. You know, in certain parts of the world, orphans still aren't thought much of. In some parts of the world, they're locked away behind closed doors and that's really sad and um, we read these verses in chapter 2 verse 7 that this man treated this girl as one of his own isn't that beautiful that Mordecai takes her in and he treats her as one of his own do you know if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ you have been adopted into the family of God. And just like the relationship Mordecai has with Esther, so God treats us like his own. As I've said earlier, we don't know if Mordecai has any children of his own, but if he's to treat her as if she is one of his own, which the Bible says, then it's, we can presume he has some of his own. But I want to suggest to you, he actually treats her a little bit higher. He actually treats her a little bit more because he doesn't push one of his own children forward to be a candidate for the queen. He picks Esther. This man has, he puts Esther forward to be picked as queen. This man has great aspirations for Esther. He sees the potential in the adopted, the the orphan child. Recently, we had dinner with Jimmy and Bridget. And I think, I I don't want to just highlight Jimmy and Bridget here this morning, but I want to highlight uh, Neil and Judith. And I want to highlight Jenna and Puma and Jason and Grayson and and others. I'm not sure of who else. 
adoption is very strong and fostering is a very strong on their hearts. But I, I just love that heart. I remember, I've shared this before, I remember being in a prayer meeting six or seven years ago, one, one Monday morning out in our old building. And God, we were praying for Bridget and, and God clearly spoke to me and he said, Neville, I have something I want to share with you. I want to show you something of my heart through Jimmy Ray. And, uh, and I was like, are you sure about that, Lord? It doesn't really suit my theology doesn't really stack up. And, uh, and, um, and God's heart is towards fostering and adopting because he adopts. It starts off, he adopts us in. Every one of us is adopted in. But back to the story of Jimmy and Bridget. We had dinner with them a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and, and I was nervous of going for that dinner or having that dinner. Because get, girls can chat away, and, and, and I love that about you. Um, just do it in a different room. And joke. That's a joke, by the way. But men sometimes don't know what to talk about. It can be awkward silences, unless it's football, which I'm not sure about. But Jimmy spoke of his aspirations for Jamie Lee. In spite of all of his difficulties, in spite of everything that's against him, the way that man spoke of Jamie Lee, the way he spoke about his aspirations for him for the future, when the world would give up, when even the authorities sometimes can give up when they're stretched beyond their limits. His aspirations for Jamie Lee goes on. You see, he sees the potential in him. And I think the beautiful thing is that God sees the potential in each one of us sitting here. Against all odds, he puts Esther's name forward to be queen. There's three titles I felt God gave me as I was going through this sermon or this passage myself. It's not possible. It's not fair. And it's not my responsibility. And we're going to cover the two this morning, two first two. It's not possible. I'm sure the rest of the community said, is Mordecai nuts putting this wee girl from the back end of beyond into the palace? with the aspirations that one day she'll become queen. And so we read Esther is brought to the palace along with many others. And in, in chapter 2, verse 10, she's, she is warned by Mordecai not to reveal her identity at this time. And she did. And as I've said, if obedience is the first key in the kingdom of God, then the second key within this story I have found is God is looking for people who are trustworthy. Esther enters the palace along with many other girls and is told she will be um, there for 12 months before the king picks who is going to be queen. This seems like a time of waiting, doesn't it? 
It seems like Esther has a waiting to do. Our translations of the Bible don't do this passage, this part of the passage, justice. This time of, this was not a time of just waiting. This was a time of preparation. And I want to be careful here, but I want to highlight something. In our younger generation, we hear these words, I'm waiting for God to tell me what's next. I'm waiting for God to speak. When I was a boy, I used to go with my mum to the doctor's and we had to go into what was called a waiting room. Today, if you go into the health center, there's a big communal area and you wait to be called, but you are ushered into a wee side room. And this wee side room had wooden panel walls. It was dark and dreary. It had four or five magazines and definitely no toys for a kid to be amused with. And we sat there and we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And we could hear, I could even hear today, the tick-tock of the clock. The tick-tock. And then the person in front of us would be picked. And we would wait and wait and wait. And then the next person would be picked and we would wait and wait and wait. The kingdom of God isn't like that. That's not the way our God operates. This was a time of preparation. For any of you who uh, followed the dream wedding of, was that last year? Kate and Harry? When was Kate and Harry? Or Megan and Harry, sorry, yeah. (laughs) Megan and Harry, or even Kate and William. Before they got married, before before Megan and Harry got married, did you know that Megan had to go into a six-month of preparation before that marriage? Did you know that Kate had to go into a 12 months because her calling was higher of preparation before her marriage? And so during this time, Esther would have been not alone, her outward beauty would have been taken care of, but there was an inward change, an inward shift had to happen in this waiting time. I prefer to use these times as being called as times of preparation. Ronnie preached a message 10 years ago. Waiting time is not wasted time. It changed my life, so it did. It changed my perspective as I was waiting on God to show me. Because it's a time of preparation. It's a time where she would want, would need to get to know the king what the king was like. She would need to know what the ways of the king, she would need to know the heart of the king, and she would need to know the purposes of the king. It was an intense time of training, a time of stretching, a time probably that was kind of unpleasant. Have you ever been in those times? Have you ever been in those times where it's a bit intense? It's hard to see the purpose. You know, what I've found is it's important how we enter these times. It's important how we enter these seasons of life. Because the way we enter will be determined our outcome. And we see that in the life of Esther. I'm a little bit passionate about this. I'm a little bit passionate about this. Because as I look back across my life, there was plenty of these times. 
But unfortunately, I wasted them because I didn't look at them from the right perspective. In these seasons of preparation or waiting, it could even veer into what seems a time of testing. There's two things that I have found personally, two experiences I have found. It's hard sometimes to understand the goal. It's hard to understand what the goal and the purposes of these times are. And the second thing, it can be lonely. It can be a desperate, lonely time for people in a time of stretching. But two things that we learn from the life of Esther is one, she trusted in the process. And she not alone trusted in the process, but she trusted in the person who entered her into this process. The one who adopted her in. And so if you're in a time like this, you've got to trust in the process. As difficult as it might be, as stretching as it might be, as trialing as it might be, you've got to trust in the process that God is working in the background. And um, as I've said, it can be lonely. You know, it's a time, this is a time when I've often said, it's not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. I'm going through this. When everybody else seems to be rejoicing, it's not fair. But two things I said. The second thing that we see about Esther is she trusted in the process and the person who entered her into the process. But the second thing is she was teachable within the process. She, in her time of preparation and in her time of waiting, she was keen to learn what the purpose was. It wasn't 12 months of her sitting around twiddling her thumbs. It was a time. And as I say, I wish as a young person, as a much younger person, someone had sat me down and said, look, you will have different seasons in life. You will have seasons where you're sitting on top of cloud nine. You will have seasons where you will be rejoicing and you'll feel so close to God. But there will also be times where you feel the valley experience. But as a good old farmer once told me, you can never fatten cattle on top of a mountain. You fatten cattle. You put weight on cattle in a valley. I don't know whether that goes over most of your heads, but it helps me. These can often be times where you feel abandoned. I feel pressed to talk into this. Unsure where you are. In kind of uncharted waters, you wish somebody had to walk this road before you, and then you could have just had them as a mentor. And if you find that's where you're at, I want you to take courage. Take great encouragement from chapter 2 verse 11 because verse chapter 2 verse 11 tells us while Esther is in the palace going through all this stretching and 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 whatever it is there is somebody who's walking who's not allowed into the palace first of all but every day he walks by 
and looks over the gate, looks through the rails, inquires about, searches after to see if Esther's okay. His watchful eye is always upon her. She might not be aware of it, but he's walking backwards and forwards. You see, Mordecai didn't just send her into the process. He went with her. And he stands, his adopted father stands. Isn't it a beautiful picture that if you're in the difficulty, if you're in the trial, there is a father. Your adopted father is watching on in the process. His eye is always on you. You know, I love when we sing things. And I love when people share things through poetry or, or other means. But I love when I find the truth of these things in here. The truth of God's word. What the character of God is like. As she journeys through these 12 months of preparation, there's three major things. And I'm coming to an end. There's three major things that happen in the life of Esther that we read in chapter 2. Three ways Esther's life is, is blessed. One, she is favored by those who are in charge of her. She has, she has one favor by those who are in charge of her. Two, she's favored by all the people. She's favored by all the people. We read that in chapter two. And three, finally, this one. She finds favor in the eyes of the king and Esther is picked as queen. Now, I don't know about you, but favor is an amazing gift to receive from God. And I don't know about you, but I would like more favor in my life. Hands up who would like more favor in their lives. Some, that's good. I would. See those moments when the favor of God hit you? They're unexplainable. They're unexplainable. And so this girl is surrounded, this orphan girl is surrounded by favor. Her mind must have been blown away at this moment. This girl who possibly could have said at that time, as she entered into this process, it's not fair. It's not possible. She's favored in three ways. And I think the thing that links these three things together is her attitude. Attitude. And I think that's the third key in this story. Your attitude will determine where you go from after the time of waiting. Your attitude. Next week, I want to talk about responsibility, authority, strategy, and legacy. Because we will see in the life of Esther, those things were important. She wasn't some flimsy girl. She took on responsibility. She knew authority. She developed strategy. And she left a legacy. 
The last chapter in Esther is an amazing chapter of the success of this king and his kingdom because of one person. Well, maybe two. But Esther and her God. And I think that's brilliant. Esther, the nobody, the girl from way back beyond, the orphan, the least in society, from the unknown small group of people, suppressed, disadvantaged, moves within the process, beats all the odds, and becomes queen, the new bride for the king. Isn't it a beautiful story? Well, like every good serial, I want to leave you on a high because the story takes a further up twist, not a down twist, an up twist. And we're going to see that next week. As I close, I, I want to pray. And I feel led to pray. I feel led to pray. And I feel led to pray in three ways. One, if you, if, you, uh, if you feel God has drawn you or you've been drawn into a place, a season where life seems unsure, difficult or different to where you've been before and you're not sure what to expect out of this. So I want to pray for you if you fall into that category. The second people I want to pray for this morning is if you feel dry, I mean spiritually dry, spiritually dry. You know God is preparing you. He has you in a time of preparation, a time of waiting for something, but you're not sure. And I want to pray in this season, if you find yourself in this season, that you would strongly be surrounded by the favor of God. I feel strong about that. And the third thing I want to pray. Last week, I didn't realize I was going to be speaking on this. But last week as I stood in worship, I felt God share something with me. And it went something like this. God has many daughters and many princesses, but he's looking for queens. He's looking for queens. And I don't think that's gender related. So guys, don't switch off on me. Don't switch off. Ephesians 4 verse 19 says this, that we would grow up in Christ in every way. And I have a sense that, no, actually, if you have a sense that God is causing, is, call, is calling you and stretching you to grow up in him, I don't mean just like what Ian would say to me, go and grow up. I don't mean that. It's a bigger thing than that. It's to do with capacity. It's to do with responsibility. It's to do with carrying the kingdom of God. And if you have a sense that God is calling you to that, to grow up in him, then I want to pray for you this morning as we close our time off, that you would have a greater capacity. You see, God wants to display his kingdom here on earth. But it's going to take people 
who will move into position with him and do that. There's a growing up. You can see me, I'm on my toes. There's a growing up in him. Not a growing up in the world, a growing up in him. And like Esther, listen to me. This invitation isn't for the elite. It's not for those who think they're po- it's possible, they're capable, and they've got all the qualifications. It's for the ones that the Spirit of God is stern. Our land needs people to carry his kingdom. And there's lots of potential and already kingdom carriers in this room. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this story and even the chance to share it. And I pray, Lord, as as you have stirred my heart with it, that you would continue to stir all of our hearts. Thank you, as we have sang, we are adopted into your family. Thank you that as we have sang, the enemy can never steal that away from us. Thank you, as we have sang, it's because of of Jesus and Diane on the cross. But Father, we're sensing. We're sensing a stretching. We're sensing that it feels like a time of waiting. And Lord, we pray that you would give us this perspective, that it's not just waiting, but it's a time of preparation. Thank you for the values that you show us, obedience, because you're the boss, as Billy Quilty would remind us. And you're looking for a people who are trustworthy, with an attitude and a teachable spirit and a desire to win your favor. Because we know, we know and we have experienced when the favor of God, when your favor comes upon our lives. It's amazing. Lord, in this moment, it's not often we get a moment to sit But Lord, in this moment, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray there would be a shift in our mindset. And we would see this for what it truly is. Thank you that even even in this moment, if you are feeling distant from us, that your eye is still upon us and that you've never left us left us. You don't leave us helpless. And Lord, I pray for these three areas of life. I pray for those who are finding it difficult. The stretching is a wee bit sore. We're being pulled in different directions. We're being stretched in different ways. But thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose in mind. Lord, I pray for those who feel dry. I feel, I pray, Lord, that that even today we would know the favor of God upon our lives. And again, our spirits would be lifted and we would be encouraged on in this great journey 
of redemption all, all the way. And Lord, I pray for those who through your Holy Spirit you have put a desire to step up, to move up into a new position. I pray, Lord, for supernatural strength to do that. I pray, Lord, you would pave the way for that to happen. I pray, Lord, that they would know that all things are possible through you. All things are possible through you. In Jesus' name, amen.